I love first weekends here at Fellowship of the Rockies. We always get to see people baptized, to obey the Lord in baptism, and then we get to have communion together and worship together. Great times together. Pastor Charlie is out this weekend. He's with his father and his mom. Uh, he had mentioned a few for the last few weeks uh, his dad's condition and that he was facing a serious surgery. His dad came through the surgery as well as could be expected at his age, and he's there helping his mom and his dad. There's quite a bit of recovery time, uh, so you pray for them as he ministers there with his family. We're taking a break from the Heroes series, and uh, I'm just going to share with you a message today that God's been teaching me uh, as I study the Scripture, and He's working on me, and I'm just in hopes that what He's teaching me might be of some help to you as well. That's the way it usually kind of goes. Uh, Somebody, God's doing something in someone's life, and it helps us. But I, if you would, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we'll be there in just a minute. If you have your Bibles or if your iPads or smartphones or whatever you use, uh, if you'll be turning to Hebrews chapter 10, we'll get there in just a moment. Today's message is entitled, In It to Win It. Now, when I came to that from studying the passage of Scripture I want to share, my first response was, that kind of sounds like a cheesy motivational talk. So you'll have to judge after this is all over if it's a cheesy motivational talk or not. But if, if you judge that, you know, kind of mostly keep it to yourself, okay? You can tell Jeff or some of the other staff, and they'll break it to me easy later, all right? But that is not my desire that it's just some motivational talk. My desire is that God begins to show you some of the things He's showing me that cut to the heart of what I need in my spiritual life. My hope is that we can begin to win against the enemy. Uh, I, I, I believe you probably have a similar experience, but I, I talk to people a lot. And I find a lot of people who are not winning a lot. You have that experience? They're just struggling. And they're not winning against the enemy. They're not winning against their flesh. They're not winning against the world system. Uh, they're, they're having a good bit of failure in spiritual life. And what disturbs me is we don't have to live that way. And what disturbs me in my life is I don't have to live that way. And yet sometimes I do. And so God's been teaching me these things, uh, that there are things that, that I, I, I fall, I'm tempted, and I fall most of the times when I come to that. Why do I do that? Are there probably things in your life like that? You may have something in your life, a sin that always trips you up, or almost always, or you may come to this certain thing or situation, and it just depresses you, and you can't get out of that depression. Whatever it is, God wants to overcome that, and He wants to work in you and through you to overcome it. And so my question today is, do you want to be in it to win it in the spiritual life? Or do you want to just muddle along and not have what God designs for you? Now, as I think about being in it to win it, I I know there have to be at least a couple of Broncos fans in the audience. 
So I think I'm on fairly safe ground here to say a few weeks ago, you probably remember quite vividly the Broncos-Ravens game. Forty seconds left in regulation. Broncos are up by seven points. Ravens have the ball. All they have to do is just shut them down. Forty seconds. You know, that's not very many ticks of the clock. The, the Ravens center snaps the ball. Flacco dances around. The line holds. The line holds. He waits. He waits. He looks downfield. Jacoby Jones is running as if his life and his paycheck depends on it. I don't know about his life, but his paycheck probably did. Uh, he's killing himself to get downfield. 30, 40, 50 yards. And there are two Broncos defenders back there with him. One of them's kind of running down the sideline like he's aware that the football might be coming his way sometime in the future. The other one, number 26, Raheem Moore, is running backwards like, I'm going to catch this ball, I'm going to catch this ball. And then in the middle of that, something possesses him, and he starts practicing his ballet moves, you know, just kind of like... (laughs) If you think I'm lying, you go to NFL.com, and you search highlights of that game, you go to 40 seconds from the end, and you watch it, and you tell me what in the world Raheem Moore is doing if he's not practicing his dance moves. He's certainly not running because he's going, I'm going to get it, I'm going to intercept this, and the ball goes five, six, seven yards over his head. I, I think maybe some mud got in his eyes. I don't know what happened. But here's what I submit to you. As I watched, and I watched again, and I slid that thing back, and I watched that play again, slid it back, and watched again, I had to quit watching because I never got over being irritated by it. (laughs) Those ravens were in it to win it. I wasn't convinced. Now, if, if Raheem Moore is your cousin or something, or your uncle, or... So, yeah, just forgive me in advance here. But I wasn't convinced that number 26 was in it to win it. 40 seconds left, for heaven's sakes. Now, when we think about winning, what does it look like to win in our spiritual lives? We get fired up about football. Well, some of us do. You get fired up about something. What what does it look like when we win in our spiritual lives? What does it take? If we believe some teachers, if we believe some, and I don't want to just crucify all the TV preachers. I'm not doing that. But you can flick through the channels, and you'll find some who will tell you that if you're really winning and overcoming in the Christian life, and you're victorious in the Christian life, that you won't have any problems. You'll just be able to speak to those problems, and they'll go away. And if you have a need financially, you'll just... Believe God, and it will magically be met. And so if you decide you need a Mercedes, or another Mercedes, or a bigger Mercedes, or a newer Mercedes, you just believe and speak it, and God will do it. And if you decide that that little hovel, that hut you live in isn't enough, you just ask God. He'll give you a mansion. And so now you can be one of those Mercedes and mansion Christians, and then you'll be victorious, and then you'll be a winner. Here's what I submit to you. I think a Christian who's winning in the spiritual life looks a whole lot more 
like those Ravens players who came off the field with mud, with grass, turf, shoved in their helmet, shoved in their face, maybe their mouth guard with mud on it, blood on their uniform, sweating like pigs at four degrees above zero, go to the jacuzzi, the whirlpool, and spend an hour and a half in the whirlpool before they can even walk to the vehicle that's going to take them wherever they're going to go and die overnight. But they won. That's what a winner looks like, I believe. It doesn't look like this person who never has a hair out of place, never has anything wrong, always has everything perfect, and why can't the rest of you low-life Christians be like me? That's not reality. That's not what winning is. So, I want to challenge you today to be serious about winning in your Christian life. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because I've talked to people for years and years who are not winning and repeatedly are losing battles. So, I have a question for you. Do you want to win? Or do you just wish you could win? Do you hear the difference? My wife plays racquetball. She's kind of a fanatic about racquetball. And the company whose gear she uses, had a few years ago on the back of their jerseys, had had the company logo and then a slogan said, Do you want to win or what? Implying that if you use their stuff, of course, you would massacre everyone else. But that's my question. Do you want to win or what? Because or what, the only other option is to lose. So let's jump into Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 is where I'll begin. I'm going to read four sentences, just about a a paragraph or so. And God has been teaching me five things. I want to just unload five things right in a row that God's showing me that that helps me to understand what he asks of me and what he's going to do if I'll do those things. Remember, Pastor Charlie keeps saying, if we'll do the natural things, the things God asks us, he'll do the supernatural. That's what we're talking about here. Five things that I want to challenge you with out of this little short passage, four sentences. Here we go. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We, have, we can have confidence to go into the very presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, Christ's body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold unswervingly. Some of the translations say, let us hold fast. I like this idea of unswervingly, without swerving off the road. To the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. That sounds a little painful, doesn't it? But stick with me. We'll come back to that. Toward love and good deeds, let us not give up Meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Five things I believe God wants to teach me 
and you out of this passage. The first one is this, very simply, right in verse 19. It's, uh, it's completely confident. He wants us to be completely confident. Verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, there's the word, it's assuming we have confidence, to enter the most holy place. See, you see, Jesus Christ's blood purchased our, the possibility for us to have forgiveness. It doesn't magically cover every person in the world. It's capable of that, but that we have to make the choice to give our lives to Him, to repent of sin, and to receive Him as Lord and Savior, to believe on Him. That is, place our complete trust, not just believe in our head, but place our complete trust in Him. Then we can have this eternal life He offers. The Bible teaches that He justifies us. He judges us not guilty. He adopts us as His children. In the family, eternal life, never to be kicked out of the family when we give our lives to Him. Now, I meet a lot of Christians who don't have that confidence. People who say, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I've been born again. But, and then begins this whole list, a laundry list of the things that cause them to doubt whether maybe God really still likes them or not. I believe this teaches that we, have, we can have complete confidence. If we've come to Him, if we've given our lives to Him, He's come into our lives as our Lord and Savior, we have complete confidence to enter the very presence of God. Now, if you lack that confidence, then I would say you are losing the battle in many areas of your life. And it's a matter of believing the truth that is in God's Word. I think we let Satan convince us other than God's truth on this. The second thing I want you to see is if we're going to win against Satan, the world, our flesh, we must be spiritually clean. Hebrews 10.22 says this, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Here's the picture. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Okay, reference to his, his blood, sprinkle his blood like they did in the offerings in the Old Testament. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Don't think that's really talking about baptism in this particular instance. I think it's talking about, it's just giving two pictures of us being cleansed. An ongoing cleaning that we need. Now, those of you who have given your life to Jesus Christ, you know, you didn't become automatically perfect, did you? And so, there's sin in our lives, and we need to take care of that problem, and we need a way, a method of, to, to be cleaned, to be cleansed on an ongoing basis. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness on an ongoing basis. Listen, staying clean takes constant attention, doesn't it? So, here's why we challenge every person in, at Fellowship of the Rockies to Life Journal along with us. Because we know we're all going through the Old Testament, New Testament every year. And we know that we're all, you know, reading through Exodus, the book of Acts now. We can come into the foyer out here and have a conversation. Whoa, what about this guy, Stephen? This past week we read about that they killed him with rocks. They stoned him to death. What's up with that? If you're reading that for the first time, maybe. And somebody else can say, yeah, and, and start talking about it. It's a lot different environment than if I come in and say, wow, I was reading in Genesis this week, and 
uh, can you help me with this? And I go, ah, sorry, I can't help you, dude. I'm reading in the book of Revelation, so, you know, we're not on the same page. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to speak truth in each other's lives and help guide each other in the truth of God's Word. God's Word is the primary way we can be confident and we can be clean. So God's Word is the primary answer for those first two things. The third thing I want you to see that God's teaching me is in verse 23, He says we need to be totally committed. That means I need to be all in. Not just kind of in, but all in. Listen to verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For He who promised, that's God Himself, is faithful. You can trust Him. If He promises, you can hold unswervingly to that promise. That's right down the middle of the lane. If you cross over the line this way, you're going to get sideswiped by an oncoming car. You cross the line this way, you're going to hit the rumble strips or you're going to go in the ditch, wreck your car. Hold right down the center of the lane without swerving. So the idea is, hey, this is getting a little more challenging as we go through this list, I think. You know, I need to have the confidence. I need to be spiritually clean. And hey, I think the writer's saying, hold on for your life. Don't let go. Here's why. There are a lot of thought systems. There are people who believe stuff that's not in God's Word, and they're going to be doing their very best to convince you to hold to some other ideas and some other thought patterns that do not line up with God's Word. If you don't hold fast unswervingly to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His Word, you will be steered off the right path. Has it ever happened to you? I think so. Unless you're dead and you're just sitting here staring at me and you died after you sat down, that's the case. Every person who's still drawing breath here, you've had that kind of thing happen. Somebody gave you advice and it didn't line up with Scripture. What are you going to do when that happens? Hold unswervingly. The fourth thing this passage teaches. Now, for me, it starts to get a little painful. I think if we're going to win against Satan, we must be effectively coached. Now, that doesn't sound like a very spiritual phrase. Effectively coached. You mean I have to go out and do like I do, you know, when I go to the gym to get rid of the fat in January. Uh, I've got to hire a personal trainer or I've got to do whatever. Uh, I have a life coach to help me get on track and and I've got a business coach to help my business get on track. All of those cost me money. Uh, You're telling me that Jesus and the Bible is not enough? I'm telling you Jesus and His Word is enough for anything and everything, but let's look at what His Word says. In verse 24, let us consider, okay, us is us, right? So let's just agree. Say that with me. Us is us. Okay, that means all of us. So let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Anybody in here against love and good deeds? I don't think so, especially when it's being done to me. I want people to do love and good deeds to me. And so, he says, the way that happens is to spur one another on. Some of the other translations say, let us consider how we can encourage each other. You know, you could be walking by and I can just say, hey, Jeff, hang in there, dude. I walk walk away saying, I just encourage Jeff there. Jeff walks away going, that didn't help me at all. 
Uh, I know, you know, Dwayne th- probably th- thinks I'm a friend or something like that, but it didn't help him. Here's what the Word says. Let us spur one another on. Now, if, if there are any cowboys, cowgirls in here, you know spurring is uh, serious business. Uh, if you're the one receiving the spurring, you know that means it's time to, to, to give everything you have. It's time to get with it. It's time to run all out or whatever the case may be. The, the word in the Greek New Testament here, as I've studied it and looked into it, means this. To incite, to provoke, or irritate into a dispute. Now, you take that idea of irritating someone into a dispute, and you put the positive spin on that and say, you're willing to stay with somebody, to coach somebody, to get up in their face, up in their grill, until they do what is right, even if they get upset about it, because you love them that much. Or to allow somebody to get up in your face that much, because you know they love you, and you want to please the Lord Jesus Christ so much that you'll allow that to happen. And you'll allow it to keep on happening until you obey the Lord and quit losing in that particular spiritual circumstances. John uh, 8.32, Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. No doesn't mean just know it up here in your head. You'll embrace, you'll know what the truth is and you'll embrace it, you'll believe it, you'll act on the truth and it'll set you free. I was reading a book recently, a secular book, and they quoted that kind of, they said, the truth will set you free, but first it will really irritate you. And that's the truth. You think about every time that you've been off track and some real truth, especially truth from God's Word came into your life, the first response we usually have is to get really ticked because it's correcting us. And so in our ego-centered, self-centered way, we want to tell other people, hey, I've got this under control when nothing could be further from the truth. The purpose of this kind of coaching is so we'll obey, so we'll win against Satan. Are you willing to love other Christians this much? Are you willing to let them love you this much? Hey, this effectively coached thing is starting to sound spiritual all of a sudden, isn't it? A few years ago, Facing the Giants came out a movie. I watched it. I found it really moving. I used, about, about three years ago, I used a clip from this movie with our men's ministry for a, a short talk I did. I want to pull that clip out. I want you to watch what this coach does with this high school football player. And I want you to imagine that high school football player is me, is is you, put your name in that place, in my spiritual life, and this guy coaching is somebody who loves me and wants me to win in my Christian life. Watch this. That's what you and I need in our spiritual lives. Because we think we might be able to make it to the 20, maybe the 30-yard line. God knows if we would do what He said in His Word and let others spur us on toward love and good deeds, that we can make it to the end zone. Are you willing? Are you willing to let someone else get in your face like that coach did so you can quit losing? And... Do you love other people enough to, with great love, get in their face and coach them 
so the devil can quit winning in people's lives. Final thing, because this wraps it all up, puts it in a nice package. God does this on purpose, I believe, in this short little paragraph. If we want to win, the final thing is we must be experiencing community. The kind of thing we're doing today, we worship together. We get in life groups together. We listen when Pastor Charlie says the way we do community here is life groups. And you flood Pastor Corey with requests. And some of you step up to the plate and lead life groups simply because we don't have enough leaders. We're starting seven or eight new life groups in the next few weeks. But we could use a dozen more leaders yesterday. We take community seriously. Because that's the wrap-up. Look at verse 25. It wraps up this short paragraph that gives us, in a nutshell, what it means to win. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day, the day of Christ's return, which I pray is soon, approaching. Don't give up meeting together. It's going to get hard. It's going to burn It's going to hurt. And the tendency is to say, well, it kind of hurts today. I don't think I'm going to go to worship. It hurts today. I don't think I'm going to go to life group. And the the enemy will say to you, yeah, those people, they don't care about you that much anyway. Or yeah, those people, they don't have your problems. They don't understand your problems. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Don't give up meeting together. When you're isolated from the herd is when you're going to go down every time. That's the the little nice, neat wrap on the package there. If we're going to be confident, clean, committed, all in, and coached well, we've got to be in community together.